You're going to have to take the middle seat. I know how much you guys opt for that on your airline trips. Uh, but if you're looking for a chair, I can find one for you. Well, it's so good to be with you this morning uh, to just to worship um, together. And um, as we continue um, kicking off 2020, um, some of you might remember, anybody remember Ephesians, the first three chapters that we began um, this fall, and we are going to get back to Ephesians um, in just a couple weeks. Um, But as we begin uh, this new year, uh, we wanted to just take a brief break from that and um, just consider some of these things that the Lord really life things. Obviously, at a new year, we begin to think about new ideas. Obviously, Kyle, uh, you know, he talked about um, the resolutions that we all make. And so a couple weeks ago, I taught about and we looked at God's word and the fact that we can know God by reading his word, by studying his word. And the call to know God's word. And um, last week, Kent, one of our elders, um, gave a great exhortation exhorting us to live for Christ and to trust in his sovereignty that he's placed us here to live for him and to declare his mercies, to declare his greatness to the world around us, the city that we live in, our friends, our jobs, and all of those other sorts of places. And this morning, I want us to just consider that really what is the heart behind those things? Why would we want to know God? Why would we want to declare the glory and the greatness of Christ to those around us? I don't know about you, but periodically when we go on trips and we take a drive, I'm obviously looking out the windows because that's my job to drive. (laughs) And I see all of the landscape and I see the beauty and I see creation. And um, when we take trips, we try to visit places that are a little bit more beautiful than uh, what we have here. There's there's. Melissa is beautiful. I love this city. But there are other places that have a little bit more beauty. God's glory shines a little bit more brightly in terms of his creative power sometimes in these other places in our nation. And so we'll travel around and I'll be looking up and we'll come to a great, you know, uh, just a, a beautiful countryside or perhaps some mountains or we might see some snow or wherever it is that we're traveling. And I'll find myself worshiping God just in awe of his creative power and the fact that he, he created this for me. And to to look at it and to see just his love for me on display through creation. And so I'll turn around and all the heads are bowed. Not in prayer. With glowing lights upon their faces. And I think you're missing this. And I want to call their attention. Look up. Put the devices down. Look up and see what God has done. See what he's created for you. See what this beautiful picture that he's given to us. And so I want this morning, I want us to invite each and every one of us to look up from our devices, to look up from the plodding through life, just trying to make it until tomorrow, and to just ponder and consider the greatness of God's love for you. So I want to do something that I I don't ask for this. In fact, this might be the first time in the history of City Church that I've ever asked for this. I'm going to ask that you put all of your devices away. I'm going to ask for you even to close your Bibles. I'm going to read the text for us. The text will be behind me on the screen. I want our undivided attention on God's word as he declares his love for you. If you need to take notes, that's great. But please, just this morning, don't make a grocery list. Just hear, hear from God. Listen to what he has to say to us. 
Jeremiah, the great prophet, who often laments, but he declares God's love for us, as Miss Marianne read for us from Jeremiah chapter 32, 39 through 41. And I'm going to read it again. And I just want these words to pierce our hearts. I will give them one heart and one way, that they may fear me forever, for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. I will rejoice in doing good to them. And I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and all my soul. Now the context of this prophecy and this word Jeremiah has just told the Israelites all of the trouble that they have had and the pending trouble that will be coming, and they are not in a good way. Life is not perfect. They are not, yeah, they're not back in the garden here. They are very troubled. War, pestilence, bad things surround them. The hardness, the brokenness of this world is very real to them. But here he gives them this strong word, and he begins with, I will. God declares what he will do. It is not contingent upon what they have done or what they will do. He is saying, I will do these things. Now, I know this is spoken to, if you understand Jeremiah, you're thinking, well, that's Old Testament pastor. That doesn't apply to me. But this covenant that he speaks of, this new covenant, he's pointing to Jesus and the covenant that was sealed with his blood. Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, you remember these words? He made a new covenant, a covenant, this is a new covenant, a covenant sealed with my blood. And so he was pointing to all of us. This covenant, this promise is not just for the Israelites of the Old Testament. This promise is for you and for me. I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make with them an everlasting covenant. Do you know what the word everlasting means? It means everlasting. (laughs) Lasting forever. Without end. With no beginning or no end. Everlasting. One of the reasons that we believe and we hold to the promise of everlasting life, the assurance of the perseverance of the saints, that means there is nothing that could ever take us out of God's grip when we put our faith in Christ. He has sealed us once and for all. The reason that we can declare that is because God has said he's made an everlasting covenant. If there was anything lasting to it, anything that could break it, it wouldn't be an everlasting covenant. It would have been a temporary covenant contingent upon your activities. But no, he made an everlasting covenant with us. An everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. So I want us to hear these promises from God. That first promise there from verse 40, I will not turn away from doing good to them. God tells us that he will always do good to us and for us. And he says... The way he says it, I will not turn away. That means he won't cease from doing good. Now, I recognize that as I speak those words, your mind more than likely, if you find yourself in the midst of trial and the brokenness of this world, you immediately turn to that thought. Well, I don't really feel as if things are going very well for me right now. 
things don't seem all that good. So how can God say, how can it be true when God says that he will not cease to do good? Well, that's what Satan, that little whisper that you heard, that doubt that you heard, that question of really is God truthful, is what he said true, that's a whisper of the enemy. He wants you to believe that. And so I'd ask you this. If you're in a trial today, if today when you think about your life, things are not going the way that you had hoped, things are not going the way that you had prayed for and that you thought they might be going, if you're in the midst of that today, more than likely I would guess that you have once been in another trial previous to this day. There's another time when you thought that same thought, when you thought to yourself, things are not going the way I planned. Things are not going the way I had hoped in my life. I don't understand what God is doing. I don't know why God would be doing this or that. And you had all of those questions at a time previous to the one that you're feeling and you're experiencing today. Because that's the, real, the reality of this life, unfortunately. But you did live in that. And here's why I know that he does not cease to do good. Because as you think that, as you look backwards in your life and you envision and can even see that past trial, here's the reality. You're still here. You're alive. You still have hope. Moments ago, I hope and pray, you were singing to Jesus. Why? Because even that trial that you experienced past tense, whether it was a week ago, six months ago, a year ago, 20 years ago, when you think back to those times in that season, you know that God has sustained you through it. He will not cease to do good. And when we deal with these challenges and the brokenness of this world, yes, it is very much like he's rearranging the furniture. He's moving things around in our life, and sometimes that can be very uncomfortable and even painful as he moves those things around in our life and reorients our life around the things that he desires. But a New Testament promise that we know very well, God works all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. That trial that you're in today, yes, he is working things out. He is moving things around in your life. And that is painful and hard. And I don't want to act as if you should just look over that. But I want you to hold on to the fact of your own testimony as you look backwards in your life to see how God has sustained you and carried you through. And I want you to remember this promise. I will not cease to do good. He is always doing good. Even when we can't see it or understand it. He is doing good. The second promise that he says as he continues this, that they may fear me forever, this is verse 40, for their own good and the good of their children, I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. Verse 41, I will rejoice in doing good to them. So not only does God continually and forever doing good, he never ceases to work for good in our life. He does that not begrudgingly. He does that rejoicing. He, he never ceases to do good for us, and he delights in doing good for us. 
This is, it's astounding that God delights in doing good. We all know what it feels like, I hope, to do something good for someone. If you don't know what that feels like, please buy someone lunch today, just so you can feel that, all right? (laughs) Just find someone and buy them lunch. Then you can experience, if you haven't experienced that, you need to. But my guess is that throughout your life, you can look back and you can see and you remember those times where you've done something good for someone. We just had Christmas, and one of the highlights of my Christmas, I loved watching my sons pass out the gifts that they had purchased for our family. And the joy that they had as they passed it out, and they were so excited. They wanted their gifts to get passed out first. They didn't even really care as much about opening the gifts that they had received from mom and dad, which was shocking, but it was a thing to rejoice over. But they wanted to pass out their gifts and, and, and see those gifts open because they had put so much thought into what they, and there was, they weren't anything extravagant, but they were so thoughtful. And they wanted us to open those gifts, and they, they, they were as excited, if not more excited, to give those gifts than we were to receive them. They were delighting in doing good for us, their family. And that delight doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of God's delight in doing good for you and for me. He never ceases to do good but he delights in doing good. It brings him joy. Too many of us, when we think of God, when we hear that word, his name spoken over our lives, we immediately, our hearts and minds, think of God in some sort of a taskmaster, as a a ruler over us, who's just sort of sitting there watching and waiting. When will they fail? When will they stumble? When will I be able to rebuke them and hold them accountable for their actions? That's not the God of the Bible. A God who only does good because it's within his character, but he doesn't really like doing good. That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible delights in doing good. And that God that walks around in your mind watching for you to fail, watching for you to stumble. That's not the God of the Bible. That's a God created by small men to control. He's not real. The God of the Bible, this word promises us, is a God who delights in doing good to us. It's his joy. Probably my favorite verse from Psalm 23 Verse 6, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Surely goodness and mercy not just follows me. A literal translation of that word follow would be surely goodness and mercy will pursue me all the days of my life. Have you ever been chased? Like after third grade? Like, I generally think if I'm being chased, like, I need to run away. Like, if I, lun- if I started running down this aisle, somebody would get up and run away. They'd just be like, he's coming after me. I don't know what he's got on me, but he's coming after me. But that's the, that's the visual of God. He is pursuing. He chases us down. He's chasing you down, running after you. And God doesn't get out of breath, but it's as if he were ever to catch up to us. And we finally, we run out of breath. And so he catches up to us and he's like, why are you running? 
And he just comes up and gives us a giant hug. That's the God of the Bible. Pursuing us with goodness and mercy all the days of our lives. In preparing this message, I read this short passage from John Piper. I just want to read it for you. Remind you of who God is. God is never irritable or edgy. He is never fatigued or depressed or blue or moody or stressed out. His anger never has a short fuse. He is not easily annoyed. He is above any possibility of being touchy or cranky or temperamental. Instead, he is infinitely energetic with absolutely unbounded and unending enthusiasm for the fulfillment of his delights. When I read that, my mind immediately turned to my grandfather, who those words could have been written about him in some way. He modeled God to me so well in that same way. But that God is hard for us to comprehend. But I want you to know God's word, what he says to us this morning, he's not angry with you. He doesn't come to shame you. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love for you. That's what God spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai. Slow to anger, not short-tempered, long-suffering, willing to walk the extra mile with you because he is steadfast in his love for you. He delights in doing good. He delights in doing good to you, for you. And you want to know why he delights so, so much? Why it brings him such joy to do good to us? Because it affirms the victory of the cross. See, if Jesus, what he did on the cross, if his work wasn't enough to satisfy God's anger against sin and his wrath against sin, which God does have those things, if the cross wasn't enough to satisfy those things, then God would be regularly pouring out his anger on us and regularly calling us into judgment and all of those types of things. But the reason that he doesn't, the reason he delights is because Jesus was bruised for our transgressions. He went to the cross and paid the full penalty for God's wrath against sin. And so as he delights when he shows goodness to us and his overflowing goodness just shows up in our life, it brings glory and honor to his name because it testifies to the fact that what Jesus did was enough and it's finished. And so many of us walk around in this life and we think that God is waiting to judge us because we have not truly and seriously put our hope finally on the work of the cross. We don't really believe that what Jesus did was enough. And so we think that God is sitting there lurking, just waiting for us to fall and to stumble so that he can pounce upon us. That's not who God is. He delights in doing good because his delight affirms that what he sent his son to do was complete. And it finished it. He delights in doing good. His love for us overflows. That delight shows us how powerful and how great he is. So yes, his delight is for your good. It brings you good, but it also brings him great glory. Yes. 
Finally, the last promise from this that I see in back to verse 41. He says, I will rejoice in doing good to them and I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and soul. I will rejoice in doing good with all my heart and soul. You think you can get your head around God's goodness for you? The magnitude of his love for you? The fact that he delights in doing good to you? Until you read those words, with all my heart and soul. This is God speaking to you, and he's saying, I delight in doing good, and I will do good to them, and I do it with all of my heart and soul. When's the last time you did anything with all your heart and soul? My, I would guess that it's been, it's been a long time in my life that I can think back and say, well, when did I do something with all my heart and soul? God's word directs me that I should love the Lord your God with all my heart and soul and all my strength. And I know I fail at that regularly. I fall down on that commandment, that calling to love God the way he's called me to love him. But he doesn't. He doesn't fall short. He loves us and he delights in doing good and he puts all of his heart and soul into doing that. His delight in doing good to us is from the depth of his heart. His delight flows out of his kindness and his mercy. But it also, it's who he is. It's his character. That's who God is. Jesus described for us God's love in Luke chapter 15. He said that there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous who need no repentance. That sounds confounding even when Jesus said it. The disciples didn't quite understand that. But he's saying that there's so, God loves us so much that there is rejoicing in heaven when we as sinners repent of our sins and turn to Christ and turn to God in faith. But to explain this and show what God's delight looks like, to show, to give a visual for the heart and soul of God, how much he puts into doing good for us, Jesus told the story of a young man. A young man who took all of his family's money all that would be given to him, and he ran away. And he went and he spent all of his money. He squandered everything that he owned. And he found himself completely destitute, worthless. No place to lie his head, no food to eat. He was at the bottom. If there's ever been a bottom in Jesus' story, this man was there. And as he is eating slop, that was left out for the animals to eat just to find some sort of sustenance, he thought to himself, my wealthy father, in his house there are servants who eat better than I'm eating right now. Let me just go back to his house. I'll go back to my dad's house, and when I get to my dad's house, I'll just ask if I could just be a servant, if I could just stay in the servants' quarters, if I could just eat like they would eat, have a job. That life would be better for me than the, the life I'm living right now. Amen. And remember, this is God describing to you and to I. 
his delight in doing good to us from the depth of his heart and soul. And so the son gets up from the food trough, presumably, dusts himself off and begins to walk home, shamefully, feeling worthless, feeling as if there's very little hope for him in this life. And when the father saw a figure in the distance, and because he knew his son like a father knows his son, he could tell that gait. He knew that shuffle that he had, the way he put that left foot in front of the right foot. I know who walks like that. That's my son. And this wealthy, aristocratic, proper, owns all of the land in the surrounding area, has all of the food, has everything. He stands up and he bursts through the door and he runs to his son. He chases him down. And he says, you're not a servant. He says, you're my son. And he puts his arms around him and he gives him a hug and he lifts him up. And he says, come, we're going to celebrate because you've returned. You've come home. My oldest son gets annoyed with me sometimes because when he walks in the door, coming home from college, little dub, you're home. I'm so happy you're here. He doesn't understand the Father's love. And we don't often understand the Father's love for us. We don't understand the goodness that He has for us. How much from the depth of His heart and soul He yearns to be with you, to have a relationship with you. And when you step forward and you lay down and you say, I'm not going to chase after the ways of this world any longer. I'm just going to forsake. At least maybe let me be a dog in my Father's house. He runs out the door to us and He puts His arm around you and He says, I delight in doing good to you. I love you. You are my son. You are my daughter. Come home. He rejoices from the depth of his heart and soul in doing good to us. Zephaniah, this is why I told you to close your Bible because y'all would have been doing this looking for it. Zephaniah, it's all right. Zephaniah 3.17 says this, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. Shh. Be still. Calm down. It's okay. He will exult over you with loud singing. We sing to Jesus, and sometimes we sing loudly, and it brings joy to my soul. I can't imagine God the Father singing over me loudly. But that's what he does. Right now in heaven, God is singing over you, rejoicing over you. He is here. This is what he says. The Lord your God is in your midst. You think you've got sins, brokenness, Enemies at your doorstep that you can't figure out how to overcome? He's a mighty one who will save. Not might, who will save. And when he saves you, when you put your faith in that finished work of the cross and what Jesus did, he will quiet you, all the fears, the anxieties, you can lay them at his feet. 
They won't go away. That's not what he promises us. But he says that we can be still. And we can be quiet in his midst. And we can listen to his rejoicing over us. Singing over us. I close with this. Psalm 147. His delight is not in the strength of horses, nor his pleasure in the legs of a man. But the Lord, your God, takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. No matter where you are today, I do not care the conditions that you find yourself in. I care about them in the sense that I might grieve with you or hurt with you in those sorts of sense, but I'm saying that there's no condition that you could find yourself that outlasts, outloves, outlives, outdoes God's unconditional love and delight in doing good for you. Hope in the goodness of God. Take rest in the goodness of God. From the depths of his soul and his heart, he loves you. So why do we read his word? Why do I want to know God? Because I want to know that God that does not cease to do good to me. Why do I go and tell my neighbor of Jesus? Why do I try to live a life that brings honor and glory to my Savior? Because I want my neighbor to know the love of God that loves them that well, that loves them that deeply. Everything that we do in this life is motivated, is rooted in the fact that God loves us and will not cease to do good for us until he sees it to the end, until he brings us home. And we can trust that he will do that. Let me pray. Father in heaven, I thank you. I thank you for your kindness, your mercy. Those things are surely medicine for my soul. But those things are rooted in the promise that you delight in doing good to me. That you will not cease in doing good to me. So I pray now for my, these dear friends, these that you love, that we love, God. In the midst of the trials that they are facing today, I pray that you would not allow the whispers of the enemy to win their ears, but that you would remind them of your faithfulness, how you have moved in their life previously to this day, and you would give them assurance that even though they may walk in the valley of the shadow of death, that your goodness will follow them all the days of their life. that your goodness will not be overcome. Yes, you may be, and more than likely you are, rearranging some of the furniture in our lives, moving some things around, maybe moving some things out, moving new things in. And we're not you, God, and so we, we wonder, we we ask, Lord, what are, what are you doing? Where are you? It's okay. You hear our questions. You hear our doubts. But I pray, God, that we would be people 
who would remember that the Lord our God is in our midst. He is a mighty one who will save. That he is one who will rejoice over us with gladness. That the anxieties of our heart will be quieted by your love. And may we in this moment right now hear your exalting and singing over us. Thank you, Jesus. Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I hold fast to this promise. Help us to do that. We need your help, Lord Jesus. It's your beautiful name that we pray these things. Amen. Thanks for joining us for the preaching of God's word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sundays at 1030 a.m. at 2950 Cardinal Drive, and we'd love to meet you this coming week. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.